Let's start another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to the middle part of the middle of the week. And it is across Nebraska, Severe Weather Awareness Week. And this is the day where we center all of the activity of the mock watches and warnings that go out there and are intended to get you aware of the possibility of uh, severe weather, which is always a possibility across the Midwest. So take it seriously and take a few moments to make sure that your plan is uh, shared with everyone and that you know exactly what to do in any given situation, whether it is severe uh, uh, storms, flooding, lightning, which is the deadliest killer, as well as those dreaded tornadoes. It is uh, a great day, gorgeous for today, uh, and let's find out what we have in store with our ag department. Of course, uh, our fearless leader is Susan Littlefield, and you were able to get uh, Congressman Fortenberry on the line in Washington, D.C., Susan. You bet. You know, it's the Easter recess, but he's one of those congressmen that takes the recess and uses it as working time to meet with constituents. And he did that all day yesterday, meeting with different folks, and everybody was talking to him about budget, health care, and the SNAP program, which right now is the biggest hurdle coming up in the farm bill. So we will dive into those areas, get his thoughts on the process of attempting and finally getting the budget passed for 2018. You can hear about that coming up at 1245. At 1219, speaking of weather, we're going to find out more about the seasonal weather outlook for this year. Could it be a cool spring, warm summer? We'll find out more at 1219 and me being a weather geek. I'm hoping a few thunder boomers are included in all of that. And then at 117, Chabella is going to talk with Japan's Council General. He's from Chicago, and his delegation spent some time in Scotts Bluff. So we'll find out what that's all about coming up at 117 with the Farm Department. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Farm Team on the scene. And let's find out what's going on in sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Well, UNK is now looking for its next athletic directors. Yesterday it was announced that Dr. Paul Plinsky, after five years in Kearney, is leaving that post. He's headed west to become the director of athletics at CSU Pueblo. We'll get his thoughts about uh, what he felt he accomplished in his time in Kearney. Also, it's that time of the year when uh, guys who are underclassmen in college basketball kind of dip their toe into the NBA draft oh, waters. Yeah. And a couple of them are Huskers, James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland. Now, for a long time, players are able to do this. They're graded by the NBA and told, will you be drafted? Will you be a first or second rounder? Mm-hmm. They can do this, and they're kind of in a uh, state of unknown until the end of May. Now, they're okay doing that unless they hire an agent, Yes, right? if they don't hire an agent, then uh, they can come back. But there is some thought that even if the NBA doesn't work out for these two, they may bolt anyway huh. and go to Europe. Huh. So uh, we'll touch on that. We also can tell you that uh, one of the top players in the Big Ten from Michigan State, he has decided to go forward with the NBA draft, and he'll be he won't be coming back. <laughs> when you're an All-American, they usually find a way to draft you. Well, that money has a way of doing that. Bob Brogan has the business news. Stock indexes are mixed in midday trading and uh, right now wavering between small gains and losses. Also, um, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is going to be making an appearance uh, before Congress here in uh, the coming days and possibly weeks. So, those are a couple of the stories making news. All right, all this and more on today's Midday. 
And for Paul Perkins with a look at ag weather, I'm Dirk Christensen, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. For Nebraska today, increasingly cloudy skies with a chance of showers this afternoon, 53 to 63 in the east and central, and 48 to 59 expected in the west. Then that chance of rain or snow mixing and moving into the west for tonight. Under a mostly cloudy sky, temperatures reaching into the mid to upper 20s for the west and 26 to 36 overnight in eastern parts of the state. Thursday, partly cloudy skies. We begin to see the cold air stick and stay. We'll look for that chance of rain mixing with snow beginning on Thursday with an extended forecast that is going to keep that in play for much of Nebraska on through the Easter weekend. Our forecast also reminds us that uh, today is Severe Weather Awareness Week for Nebraska. Over the course of the 10 to 11 o'clock hour, there were mock tornado watches and warnings issued. Topic for today is tornadoes from the National Weather Service in Hastings. By the way, there were 33 tornadoes confirmed in Nebraska all of last year. And that was about 20 fewer than the 30-year average every season of 53 tornadoes. Most of them typically occurring in June. That was the case in 2017 when there were 19 confirmed. Lightning often strikes in the same place repeatedly, so don't buy into the myth myth that lightning never strikes twice in the same place. Rubber soles won't save you from lightning. The metal frame of a hardtop vehicle provides a little protection, as long as you're not touching the metal. Overpasses are not safe shelters when tornadoes strike. Do not go under an overpass. They can concentrate wind and cause it to actually become stronger. Low pressure with a tornado causes buildings to explode, and so a lot of people believe that windows open will keep you safe from having your damaged house at the end of a tornado. Not true. Opening a window doesn't have any effect at all. So move to a safe area below ground immediately. And uh, the myth also that an approaching tornado will always be visible and that it's okay to go look at them as long as you are able to get out of the way. Not true. While most have a visible funnel once they hit the ground, it's not always the case, and tornadoes are often hidden by trees and terrain and even can be wrapped in the rain shower that's bringing them on. So check your safety, check your plan to survive severe weather. Cold and rainy conditions across the central United States and ongoing drought damage in Argentina, key weather items for the commodity trade today. The weather forecast calling for episodes of cool to cold and wet weather delaying spring field work and any early corn planting in the south. Southern Plains region, no significant precipitation expected during the next 10 days in the major wheat areas. In the Delta, saturated soils along with heavy rains in the next 24 to 36 hours, disrupting the corn planting. Northern Plains, North Dakota, expecting to see snow with melting precipitation. Anywhere up to a half an inch centered on Friday, and the crop area will benefit from the added moisture, but the snow will lead to more transport delays. Let's go south to central Argentina, where losses to the late filling corn and soybeans continue due to the drought. Central Brazil continues to have favorable soil moisture for developing second crop corn, and central Brazil with no end to the rainy season in sight. Central China seen above and sometimes well above normal temperatures during March. 
likely pushing development of wheat ahead of normals. Rainfall earlier in the month supporting favorable development, but a recent drier trend in northern areas of China and prospects for very warm weather heading into April may turn that unfavorable in some of their wheat areas. And in moderate to heavy rain areas, we're looking for those having occurred in the last uh, week, and that improved conditions for the later planted maize over western areas. Prior dry weather was keeping things pretty much capped. Favorable weather will continue for immature maize over southern and eastern areas. In South Africa, the rain also benefits the cane in the southeastern coastal areas, and the region looks to be drier and somewhat warmer during the course of the week. Again, for today, in Nebraska's forecast, we'll be expecting the sunshine and high temperatures easily to the mid-50s to 60. Nebraska's extended forecast, though, Friday, partly cloudy chance of showers through the central and east, with low temperatures during the nighttime hours expected to be close to the freezing mark, if not below. Saturday, partly cloudy chance of rain and snow in the west and central for Saturday night. And for Sunday, Easter, mostly cloudy, chance of rain and snow mixed with high temperatures about 40 in eastern central Nebraska, 48 to 52 in the west. And for Holdridge Irrigation, your ranking dealer, that is your ag weather. For weather anytime, krvn.com. The tension between U.S. and China over trade continues to build. I'm Shaley Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a quick check of ag news. One analyst believes that China's threat against agriculture may just be political chess. Clay Patton has more. Wang Jun, an economics professor at the Agriculture University in Beijing, says that soybeans may be in the second wave of retaliation as Chinese newscasters continue to use soybeans and soybean fields as the backdrop for their trade retaliation news stories. On the flip side, Sean Hackett of Hackett Financial Advisors believes that China may be using soybeans as pawns in a political game of chess. They would know that they can buy all the beans that they want from South America right now, which they would normally do anyway. So this would be a, this is a perfect time to claim that they're you know, retaliating and, and putting some, some issues with soybeans at a time when it's not really going to impact them. We know they have an appetite for soybeans that far exceeds that of South America, and they, we know they will have to buy our soybeans. And we do not believe that they're going to mess around during the fall when they rely on our soybean supplies fulfill their needs. But right now, it's a perfect political time to make noise when they know it really is minimal damage to them. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Another ag news, agricultural producers wanting to enhance current conservation efforts are encouraged to renew their Conservative Stewardship Program, or CSP, contract. Through CSP, USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service helps private landowners build their business while implementing conservation practices that help ensure the sustainability of their entire operation. Participants with existing CSP contracts expiring on December 31st, 2018 can access the benefits of the recent program changes through an option to renew their contracts for an additional five years if they agree to adopt additional activities to achieve higher levels of conservation on their land. NRCS will mail contract renewal notification letters to all participants whose contracts expire in 2018, which will contain instructions on how to apply for renewal. Applications to renew expiring contracts are due by April 13th. And U.S. Senator Deb Fischer, a member of the Senate Agriculture Committee, released the following statement today on the administration's announcement of an import trade deal with South Korea. 
I am pleased to see the administration has made a good trade deal with South Korea. This is a step in the right direction that will expand opportunities for our producers and the state of Nebraska. I have been outspoken about the value of the South Korean market to Nebraska's high-quality agriculture products. That is why in September I began advocating to stay in the Chorus FTA and visited with both U.S. administration officials and South Korea officials to stress the importance of the trade relationship between our two countries. South Korea was Nebraska agriculture's fifth largest customer in 2016, and South Korea imported $340 million of Nebraska agricultural products that year. More information on that at ruralradio.com. And finally, a federal judge ruled that the U.S. government illegally quarantined some Idaho potato fields infested with a microscopic pest that could threaten the state's $1.2 billion potato industry, but he left the restrictions in place. U.S. District Judge Edward Lodge said last week that lifting the rules could lead to quarantines across the state that produce a third of the nation's potatoes and is a major global supplier. It would likely have significant immediate and long-term consequences to both the state of Idaho as well as the United States as a whole, he wrote. Meanwhile, the federal government is battling the pest, announcing last week that Idaho will receive $800,000 for eradication efforts. That's a quick check of your ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It could be a cool spring and a warm summer. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit. Eric Hunt is a staff scientist for Atmospheric and Environmental Research, Inc. He joins me now as we discuss more about the 2018 seasonal outlook as we head into the second quarter of the year. Eric, to begin, let's first talk about drought happening in the Southern Plains. Yes, that's true. Um, This has been one of the driest winters on record in a lot of the Southern Plains. I I don't know that Amarillo has actually had measurable precipitation since, you know, right around Halloween. And there are parts of Oklahoma that are now considered an exceptional drought, which is the worst category. Last I knew, wheat production uh, expectations down there were, you know, very poor. Some parts of Oklahoma have started to see some rain in the last uh, two or three weeks. Um, actually, the southeastern part of the state had had almost record rainfall in February, but that's not an area where they have a lot of wheat. So, yeah, it's uh, tough times down there, and I, signs are not encouraging for anything to really improve in that in that area. And the whole country is watching that as the Corn Belt really kind of shifts and, and Everybody's eyeing the planters ready to get going in the field. But let's run down kind of as we go through the upcoming growing season for corn, soybeans, etc. And start off talking about the spring. Now, uh, a couple of the, the models are showing it could be kind of a cooler spring. Talk about that. Yes, that definitely seems to be um, a, de- a definite possibility, uh, if not an all-out likelihood. I don't think we're talking about historically cold springs. I mean, we've you know probably been about average in March uh, across most of the central U.S. to this point. Um, you know, so I, I would kind of expect that we're going to, going to continue to have some colder days, uh, but not necessarily just persistently cold weather. We should have some, you know, days where it is fairly warm. Uh, but I mean, compared to the last couple of years, it's going to be cooler. So it might be a little tougher for people to get stuff planted, you know, at the earliest, uh, planting date that's possible, which I think usually is about the 15th of April or so. Yeah. Everybody's always pushing to get in the field sooner than later. We should back up and talk about what area of the country we're talking about when we talk uh, kind of in these broad statements. Oh, sure. So I, I'm mostly focused on or talking about, you know, from, say, central Nebraska in through Ohio. 
Um, now, I think one thing that will be more problematic as you go east is the amount of precipitation that they've had in, say, Indiana and Ohio. They've had almost record precipitation in the last six weeks, um, you know, causing flooding along the Ohio River and so on and so forth. So I, I do think it will be challenging to get crops in the field unless they you know, manage to significantly dry out later this month in early April, and that doesn't seem all that likely at this point. What have you seen when it comes to uh, the summer? Are we going to be looking at more of a dry or wet summer? I think something in between. Um, you know, uh, AER puts out, uh, or our seasonal forecast specialist puts out, you know, about five analog years, two that are, you know, that he thinks are the most likely. And um, most of those would point to relatively average precipitation. I mean, it could be a little on the dry side, a little on the wet side, but I don't think we're looking at extremes on either side. Uh, I think the key will be the temperatures uh, because it's certainly possible that we could have, you know, at least one, maybe not two, fairly decent spells of heat. You know, we're not talking like, you know, 2012 type heat, but, you know, just a string of days where it's in the 90s and probably staying warm overnight. Um, you know, depending on the timing of that, which is certainly possible that would happen the first part of July, that, that could affect pollination a little bit. We appreciate your time and thoughts on those items, Eric. Looks like it's going to be another interesting weather pattern as we do go into the growing season. Eric Hunt, he's a staff scientist with Atmospheric and Environmental Research, Inc. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskis. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check out sports with Jason Jorgenden. There will be a change at the top of the UNK Athletic Department after almost five years. Athletic Director Dr. Paul Plinsky is leaving the Lopers to become the new Director of Athletics at CSU Pueblo. Plinsky recaps some of the things he's proud of in his time at UNK. A lot of things, you know, come together that are mostly related to people, but, you know, we saw improvements in scholarships and our operational budgets and we were able to do facility enhancements and, and create the best student experience possible. So so I would say more than anything, it's just the, the unified staff and, and, a, and a culture that is uh, driven to give our student-athletes the best experience. Plinsky's last day at UNK will be May 19th. He signed a four-year deal with CSU Pueblo. UNK will look to name an interim AD and conduct a national search for his replacement. Well, Nebraska men's basketball players James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland are putting their names into the NBA draft. Now, the two have not hired an agent, meaning they can return to college. Both have until May 30th to decide if they want to go through the draft or return to school. And forward Jack McVay has decided to pursue a professional career overseas, and he's signed an agent. The Australian native made 11 of his 15 starts during his sophomore season, in which he appeared in 30 games. He played in just 14 games this past year for the Huskers. And in other Nebraska basketball news, athletic director Bill Moose made it official yesterday, announcing that head coach Tim Miles will return for next year. Michigan State star Miles Bridges is skipping his final two seasons of eligibility and entering the NBA draft. School made the announcement today. It comes as no surprise after a fine season in which he was named a second-team All-American. Now, he weighed the idea of going pro last year, but in the end decided to stay in school, turning this season's team into a national contender. Michigan State won the Big Ten, but lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Syracuse. And in other college basketball news, Louisville has found its new men's coach, tapping Xavier's Chris Mack to try to guide the program back to national contention. Of course, Mack has done a great job at Xavier. And last night, Creighton beat Nebraska in baseball action 3-1. to The Huskers fall to 13-12 and on the year. The Jays, they're now 13-6. and Nebraska plays at Ohio State this weekend. 
That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There's a 10% chance of showers after 5 p.m. today, partly sunny with a high near 58. For tonight, a 30% chance of showers, mainly before 9 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a low of around 29. From the KRVN News Center, good afternoon, I'm Scott Foster. Representatives of business and farm groups on Monday joined in support for a tax cut plan they say offers the best chance at achieving significant tax relief. Nebraska State Chamber of Commerce Industry President Barry Kennedy says LB 947 gives Nebraska businesses and job creators tax certainty and relief that they need to grow into the future. The income tax, the corporate income tax part of this bill, uh, bringing that down to mere uh, our top rate on individual is extremely uh, important. Uh, also, uh, the governor alluded to workforce as we travel around the state and ask businesses, what's your biggest challenge today? Workforce is the resounding answer. Our ability to attract people to our state that have the skill sets to, to fill a lot of really good career jobs that are available uh, in our state, which will help going back to growing our economy and growing our population. The Nebraska Farm Bureau says if LB 947 is passed, it will put resources into fixing school funding instead of into a ballot petition. Todd Watson is a Republican running for U.S. Senate. He'll be facing incumbent Deb Fisher in the May primary. Recently, he stopped in Lexington to talk about his theme for the campaign. Everyone asks me, how am I going to fix this and fix that? The reality is I'm not going to fix every problem for you. We're going to have to have people step up and fix their own problems in the community. My job is really to keep the government off your back, to make sure they follow the Constitution, and they start freeing up the citizens, whether it be taxation, regulation, etc. But then it's what do you do with your freedoms to make a difference in the community. Watson also ran for Senate in 2014 against eventual winner Ben Sass. Watson ran as an independent in that race. A company that operated a water slide in Kansas City, Kansas, says it fully disputes recent criminal charges arising from the decapitation of a 10-year-old boy on the ride. An indictment unsealed on Tuesday charges the co-owners of Schlederbahn Water Parks and Resorts and the ride's designer with reckless second-degree murder in the 2016 death of Caleb Schwab. Another official faces an involuntary manslaughter charge. Schlederbahn says they are innocent. Kansas schools that refuse to allow teachers to carry guns could be held legally responsible in the event of a tragedy under a proposal drafted after last month's mass shooting in the Florida high school. The proposals got a hearing Tuesday in front of the House Insurance Committee. Opponents expressed concern it would effectively mandate arming teachers rather than allowing it. As several states have done, insurers also could be banned from denying coverage for a school with armed staff. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app from the KRVN News Center. I'm Scott Fall. From the budget to SNAP, lots of issues being brought back from Washington, D.C. by one congressman. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Congressman Jeff Fortenberry during this Easter recess as he's spending time talking to constituents about issues here in Nebraska and what's being done about it in D.C. And no surprise, budget was one of the hot topics. It was a very messy process. Um, as you're aware, I sit on the Appropriations Committee. And so what America is seeing is a last-minute push by Congress and the President to sign a massive bill. The bill is actually a, a, a lot of work from most of last year in which the 
Appropriations Committee took step by step, particularly in the House of Representatives, to address the various uh, sectors of government, there are 12 of them, in a more regularized way. And the House of Representatives finished its work in this regard last August on time. The Senate sat on it, did nothing. We created what's called continuing resolutions, just funding what is, rather than looking at reforms as to what could be. And then we reached this stage where basically we're already into 18 without a budget, and if we don't pass one, the government's going to shut down. Now, the other consideration here is when General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, looks at you and says, I need this level of spending to keep you safe. That's pretty serious, and you listen. So the budget did take a jump, uh, both in terms of military spending. We gave our troops a pay raise. Uh, we provide, are plowing money back into military infrastructure, which is important. For instance, half of the Navy's planes can't fly at any one time. We've, we've eaten our seed corn, and we just can't sustain military operations at this level and be ready with the level of expenditures. So there was a sound argument to move more resources into military spending. When you do that, uh, it becomes necessary in order to get a bill through that we also have to negotiate what's called domestic spending. We tried to move that money into places where there's more general agreement, such as transportation and infrastructure, uh, some down payments there, into the opioid problem, into the mental health issues, as well as school security. But it is a jump in the budget, and it's a messy process, and it becomes a very hard decision. But the budget is still at 2010 levels, so it's it's steady as to where we were about a decade ago, even though it took a job. But it was, for me, the overriding consideration, or one of them, was the uh, funding to, to keep us safe um, and by helping our military. Um, there were some gains we made that I think were important and generally agreeable. I lost some things. We couldn't negotiate them in the end. But at some point, you have to make a decision to try to keep moving forward, and that's what I did. Well, agriculture was a part of this budget as well. The the farm to school grant program was a, was in there, which is which is good news for agriculture. Yes, as you know, that's kind of close to my heart. We worked on those year those uh, issues for a number of years, and we're starting to gain uh, new momentums and new opportunities in agriculture as we as we reconnect the rural to the urban, and the farm directly to the school. Uh, creating new opportunities for agricultural entrepreneurship as well as uh, local foods and healthy, nutritious options for children. So I'm proud of that work. We're going to build on that, hopefully, in the next farm bill that's to come. A lot of work in the House Ag Committee talking about SNAP, and that really goes beyond the farm bill. Yeah, traditional uh, risk mitigation practices and, and commodity support programs have been combined with um, support for the vulnerable through our food and nutrition programs. Uh, traditionally called food stamps, but now called SNAP. Um, with By doing so, by combining both policies, obviously you create a broader coalition of people interested in agriculture, both urban and as well as rural, and that frankly makes it politically possible for a, a bill to pass. Um, the food stamp rolls, SNAP rolls are coming down. I think that's a result of uh, more people finding access to meaningful work, and that really is a the most important part of the solution here of, of helping people who may have needed some temporary support for a rough patch in life to, to get through that while not creating a, a broader a dependency on a program which except with certain exceptional cases ought to be transitional or temporary so it's a sensitive issue we in america we don't want to see anybody go hungry and we invest a lot of money in trying to help both those who are vulnerable or poor or the working poor 
uh, feed their children and feed themselves. But you want the, the ultimate solution is good and meaningful work with uh, reasonable wages that can help people sustain themselves. And finally, Congressman, as you spend time during this this Easter recess, uh, what's the rest of the week leading up for you before spending some quality time with your family as well? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. First of all, it's great to be back in Nebraska and have a little bit of time from Washington. Um, We're involved in a number of initiatives, including a a new initiative in Washington called Recovering America's Wildlife Act. I'd like to talk to you at some point about, at length about that, creating a continuity of habitat so that we can keep species off the endangered species list and in the meanwhile through voluntary agreements with farmers and landowners create this continuity of habitat that creates recreational and hunting opportunities this is gaining a lot of traction in congress so early ideas in terms of some health care initiatives that could actually help rural communities hopefully we see some progress in that in the farm bill we've not been able to do that overall for the country unfortunately Those comments coming from Congressman Jeff Fortenberry during this Easter recess, spending time talking to constituents. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network taking a check of the closing livestock futures with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, we finally see some reprieve and see triple-digit gains in the feeder cattle and lean hogs. Yes, we sure did. Finally, we got a little turn in the market. Uh, uh, we're such discount. That the, the biggest deal is we're just such discount. They're moving cattle, and I think a lot of people uh, selling cattle uh, taking advantage of uh, the basis, and uh, because it's very positive uh, for uh, moving cattle at this point. So I think uh, that's primary uh, reason. And as they do it, they're lifting hedges, and uh, that is uh, providing uh, some support. The uh, the feeder cattle, though, kind of on a, on their own uh, uh, with those triple-digit gains, uh, mainly due to uh, just slightly lower grain prices. Uh, uh, but they have been uh, uh, discounted, too, and, and uh, they're closing that gap very quickly. Uh, but it was a positive day. Cutouts at uh, noon were... Uh, uh, lower once again to uh, sharply lower in the uh, select uh, on the beef. So uh, we're seeing a, a little bit of resistance at these higher levels uh, by the by the uh, consumer. Uh, over in the hogs, uh, a fairly positive day, particularly in the back months. Uh, they triple-digit gains there. The uh, one that uh, didn't have didn't participate in uh, at all was the April contract as cash continues to be a bit on the That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. For more information, give him a call, 1-800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. Japan's Council General Naoki Ito from Chicago and his delegation spent Saturday touring historical sites and businesses in the Scottsbluff, Gearing, and Bayard area. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chibella Guzman. Ito tells us about the upcoming 50th annual conference of the Midwest-U.S.-Japan Association that will be held in Omaha. Yes, Nebraska is a, a, the farming uh, state. Uh, Japan and Nebraska has uh, really... Uh, good uh, economic relations. So uh, this year there is going to be conference in Omaha that is to celebrate the 50th 
anniversary of U.S. Midwest Japan Association Conference. This is a conference between governors, Japan, particularly those from sister, sister prefectures, as well as a large number of businessmen will be coming to Omaha this year. Ito says the relationship between Japan and Nebraska has already yielded benefits for both state and country. Now at the moment, there are about 65 Japanese companies in Nebraska producing 4,700 jobs. And those numbers have been steadily increasing. So I can see a uh, good future of uh, developing two-way business economic partnership. And one of the key areas is, of course, agriculture. A trade of uh, agricultural products, particularly from Nebraska, we import beef and pork. So Japan is the largest importer of beef and pork from Nebraska. And indeed, Japan is the largest market, exporting market from the U.S. on both beef and pork. So we really want to further develop uh, this relationship of trade as well as investment uh, between Japan and Nebraska. While trade is a bit uncertain for the U.S. and many of its trading partners, Ito says he hopes trade can become stable again. Uh, I think it's really important uh, we have a very stable and uh, forward-looking uh, trade and investment relations. Important thing is we will grow those numbers with the stability as well as the predictability of uh, investment climate, trade relations, economic uh, atmosphere. So at the moment uh, we are not 100% happy about the way the new tariff measures on steel and aluminium were announced by the government. So we are uh, hoping uh, that the Japan will be excluded from the tariff measures uh, adopted by the U.S. Uh, government. So uh, the steel from Japan is a very specialized one, like uh, specialized wire or cable used for manufacturing uh, in the U.S., the automobile manufacturing in the U.S. So uh, we don't really agree with the way the new tariff measures are imposed by the U.S. government for the national security reasons. So we do expect that uh, U.S. government will exclude Japan uh, from uh, those new measures. So Japan will continue to be the advocate of free trade. The delegation visited the Western Sugar Company where they learned about the raw sugar beet uh, packaged sugar process and then finished the day at the High Plains feedlot learning more about the cattle industry in Nebraska. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. And John, as we take a look here on the grain side, a fairly slow day of trade ahead of tomorrow's report. Yeah, I should have probably taken a vacation these first three days of the week. It was just, uh, you know, back and forth action, other than the wheat that's a little bit dislocated from where we closed on Friday. Everything else is essentially right where we've been, you know, stuck between 95, 395 and 398 on the December contract for corn. November soybeans 
you know, 10.15 all the way up to 10.30. And it feels that the, the grains are really more consolidating with open interest being as high as they are in the end of the quarter. Uh, you know, folks are taking profits and just simply stepping aside ahead of this report. But this is no, no place to turn bearish, in my opinion, especially in the corn market. There's just so much upside, in my opinion, that uh, could, could get the market moving. Uh, we just need the, the spark to do it. Timing that's going to be impossible. So if you feel like you can, obviously, you know, you, you would stay out of the market until that weather threat hits. But for now, I think we get through the report tomorrow in corn, and then we establish kind of the, the framework for what the WASI is going to look like in April. The April and May WASIs promise to show some good um, good global stock stock reductions that I think should keep prices somewhat high. And as we discuss tomorrow's report, are there any numbers, uh, whether it be corn, soybeans, and that acreage, that uh, could really sway this one direction or the other? Well, I tell you what, the corn number for me, I mean, I've just flashbacks to a year ago when we got a 94 million acre number. We were talking about 90, 91, 92 maybe, and then we got a 94, and everybody's like, oh, man, corn is going into the mat. And then the next thing you know, we're like 15 higher. So, um, you know, the USDA tends to overshoot on the corn numbers. I wouldn't be shocked to see them come out with like a 90 and a half number and the beans stay at 90. If that's the case, I think you could see the markets jump. Um on the grain stocks, I don't think you're going to see anything that's going to be too friendly. Uh, the headlines that you guys will be talking about tomorrow will be record amount of grain stocks on hand uh, as of March 1. But we are essentially, folks are raising their hand to try to take some of those grains from us, especially on the corn side. So going into the report, I'd be bearish beans. I'm bullish corn, of course, longer term, much more bullish corn. On the wheat, I think we've made the move, and I think this grain stocks number might put a bottom in. Uh, but to get some upside, we need to be talking about yield reductions. Once we get into April, though, that'll be what we're talking about. We're going to be done talking about what's on hand. It'll be all about what we're going to grow. And right now, I think that's in the, in the bullish cards, uh, especially in the corn and the wheat markets. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grains. For more information from them, contact DanielsAgMarketing.com. Again, as we take a look, we see corn here a quarter higher now in the March 19 contract to a half lower on the May. Still see soybean across in the red at one and a half to two and three quarters lower. And wheat, both Chicago and Kansas City, near four cents down on most contracts. This is the Rural Radio Network. Ag information in the closing hour brought to you by Bank of Donovan, where you come first, where your money is handled wisely and professionally. And brought to you by Frenchman Valley Cooperative.